One of the places to start is simply the SMART goals, right? So something that is specific, that's measurable, that's achievable and realistic and time-bound. Whether or not you use the SMART model, having things that are measurable, that are time-bound and that are specific are really, really important because if you don't have those and if you're not aligned on those, it's really difficult to be able to give feedback. So making sure that you know there's some sort of structure that helps to align between the supervisor and supervisee is absolutely critical. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked, where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Welcome to another episode of Management Development Unlocked. I am glad that you are here. While you still have your device in your hand, I'd like to ask three favors. One, please subscribe to the show. Two, please share the show with just one other person. And three, go to GerardTrainingSolutions.com and download my free ebook on becoming a manager. Today, I have Brian Washburn with me. Brian, welcome to the show. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, Eric. Thank you for having me. I am Brian Washburn. I run a little instructional design and training design company called Endurance Learning. And so I work with my team and then we'll work with our clients. So if for folks who are looking for some help putting together instructor-led in-person or virtual or e-learning training programs, we're, we're some folks that you can call. We can serve as an extra set of hands. And I'm the CEO. Uh, I kind of serve as the face of the company, but we have eight other people that are behind the scenes and they're doing amazing stuff. So that's who I am. That's what we do. Little instructional design firm with eight people. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you're so little. Well, thank you very much for being, being here today, Brian. I'm really glad to have you on. And thank you, by the way, for having me and Jason Mucci on your podcast. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So it's it's an opportunity to sit in the hot seat now after having having you been in that role in the past. The roles are reversed here. The roles are reversed. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's jump into the questions. What I'm really interested in is your journey. So you are now a CEO. And you're a CEO of a much bigger company than I am. So I would love for you to tell us about your journey to becoming a CEO of your own company and how you got there. It's really, you know, it's an interesting question because I'm not somebody who ever said, I really want to own my own company someday. It was one of those things where I have a friend, a good friend of mine from my undergrad days. His name is Tim. And we would sit around from time to time. And we would try to brainstorm business ideas and we would come up with an idea and then we would research it or we would try to put it into action for, you know, a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. And then we'd realize we don't really know anything about this business, right? And so that idea would, would fizzle. And when I moved out to Seattle, I just kind of took a job as a training director and was focused on doing training stuff. And then at some point in 2012, towards the end of the year, I was in Washington, D.C. for a conference that, Tim, I got it. I have the idea. What if we created an app that would help people put together training programs better or faster or easier? Just because there's a lot of bad training out there, what would happen if people could basically 
push a few buttons and they would have a training session designed for them. And he liked that idea so much that a few years, we talked about it for, for a little while, we developed the idea. And a few years later, he left his job. He left his company and started teaching himself how to code. And he started to create this 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 tool that we had been talking about, that we got excited about. And we realized, well, you left your job. We don't have a tool that we can sell. So what else can we do to bring in some revenue while you, Tim, is, is are coding away? And so we started to take on a, a freelance training job here, a freelance training job there, a contract and uh, instructional design job here, an e-learning uh, job there. And at some point, we got to have so much work in 2017 that I had to make a decision. Do I keep doing what I'm doing with my day job, which I really enjoyed, or do I take the leap and instead of just working evenings and weekends, make it my full-time job? And I thought, well, you know what? This is the time. This is the idea that we think has legs. So let's do it. And we were both all in at that point. And then... Um, you know, we had to decide who who does what. And so we decided I would be the CEO, Tim would be the COO, he would keep the operations running, I would be the face of the company. And then as we got more and more work, we started to bring on more and more people first, generally as contractors, and then we hired some people. So here we are, we have nine people, and I get to have the honor of being kind of at the top as the CEO. Wow, that's a great story. So tell us a little more about the product. What's it what's it called? What's it do? You know, double click on that and then I've got some follow-up questions. Yeah, so the the product that we added and and it wasn't the first, this the the product that you see now, it's called Soapbox. That was not the original vision. The original vision took a little bit of a winding path to get where we are today. We originally called the prototype Perdisco. And I think I came up with this idea. It was Latin for like learning or teaching or something. And it's like, well, what's, what's, a, what's a URL out there that nobody's taken? And so we, we threw out this kind of word and, and then we went to Chicago and put it in front of some people and had people just kind of test it out and give us some feedback. And people were like, oh, yeah, it's kind of cool, but where are the slides? It, it, it kind of can help me design training, but where are my slides? We would say, no, 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 no. A training, you, you, don't, you may not even need slides. You, you, if, if you have a really good message, really good learning objectives, you may not need slides. And people said, yeah, yeah, I get that, but where are my slides? And so we realized we didn't quite have it yet. And then, you know, so, so after iterating a little bit more, we ended up with this product, Soapbox, which you can find. And for those who are listening, if you're interested and kind of curious of what this is, you can go to Soapboxify. Dot com. There's my shameless plug. And you can actually access it for two weeks for free. And what this tool does, basically, you go in and you put in a few inputs. You put in, you know, how long is the training session going to be? What are my learning objectives? Is it going to be in-person or virtual? How many people are going to attend? And when you put in all that information and you click submit, it will generate for you within, you know, seconds. It'll generate for you a sequence and flow of activities that are designed to help you accomplish your learning objectives. And so some people might say, well, what's the difference between that and like chat GPT now? And that's a really good question because you can go into chat GPT and you can put in, create a training program on how to sell the Michelin Defender tire. You can get really specific and chat GPT will spit something out for you. And it's actually pretty good. What ChatGPT doesn't do, though, is it doesn't necessarily give you 
a really instructionally sound set of activities. It'll give you some activities, but I don't know what kind of learning theory goes into it. And so Soapbox, what Soapbox does is it generates a series of activities that are designed on adult learning principles, on Gagne's nine events, on uh, Jane Vela's dialogue education. And so there's some theory behind it. And it generates these activities for you that you can then go in and take a look at. You can customize them to your content. You can say, ooh, I don't like this case study activity here. Let me switch to a different activity. I think that what we need here is just a small group discussion. So it's a little bit more versatile than just kind of something that, that an AI program would spit out for you. Well, you you totally preempted my my hot seat question, which was the the chat GPT question. Because I've monkeyed mm-hmm. around with chat GPT and have been a little scared by what it can do. But I also agree it, it wasn't designed by a learning professional. Like it's, I think it, it's jack of all trades, master of none. Sure. So I'm glad to hear that your product is, you know, based on sound learning theory and not just one learning th- theory, but several. So yep. that yep. is awesome. Amazing. Well, because this is a management show and I say this a lot, I want to keep the the focus on management. So my audience is either folks who are brand new to management or folks who support them, like senior managers and HR and folks like that. So talk to us about your own experience transitioning to a management role, either back in industry when you were in industry or being the CEO, which is also a management role. So talk to us from whatever perspective you want. Yeah. You know, I think the area where I struggled the most was the second manager role that I had. So let me back up and share the first manager experience that I had. So my first experience managing people came when I was a GED instructor working at a youth center in Washington, D.C. I had been doing that for a little over a year. My boss came to me and said, you know what, we have a couple other GED instructors for another program. I would love you to be able to meet, to connect with them, to, to try to see if you can, we can just kind of get a coherent GED strategy. And I think that you're the person who I want to be doing this. And I thought, great. And I really enjoyed that opportunity. I could bring my instructional design skills and we could put together a curriculum all together. One of the people who I was supervising was a really good friend of mine also at the time. I really knew the content. I knew the instructional design. I was very confident in everything that I had to do and share with them. I would have one-on-ones. People seemed very happy. And I was teaching GED classes to classes of youth who had dropped out of school in Washington, D.C. Some were gang involved, some were drug involved or drug adjacent or gang adjacent. And I was able to somehow earn the respect of the the youth who are in my program. And these were some of, and, and in the neighborhood, you know, I was able to walk around the neighborhood, people, I, I coached a basketball team made up of, of some of the students and people would walk around and say, hey coach. So I felt like I was really good at developing relationships regardless of where people were coming from. And so let's fast forward to my second opportunity to supervise people. I, I was fearless. I could teach a class of GED students from a variety of different backgrounds who all respected me. I was able to lead this GED instructor team. So the next opportunity that I had to manage people 
I was kind of what they called hired off the street. I didn't work my way up at the organization. I was hired in as a deputy director of this program. I had some associate directors under me, and then they had faculty members under them. I was working for a youth leadership program that brought youth to Washington, D.C. for these week-long leadership programs. And I thought, you know what? It's it, they're 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 high achieving youth. They're, we're we're working with we're working with uh, people who are really into education. I was really excited about this opportunity, and my experience after about two weeks, I was like, oh my gosh, nobody likes me. I don't know what to do. I'm having one-on-ones and people don't seem to enjoy them. I'm having team meetings and it doesn't seem like anybody wants me as part of this team. It was a disaster. My second role as a manager was really the first time that I was actually managing people and, and trying to lead a team and not being like a functional manager, right? I wasn't, when I was the GED person, I was teaching GED and also supervising some other people who were doing the same thing. In this next role, I was just supervising. That was my role. I was to lead a team and and be strategic in terms of the vision of the team. I was handling the budget. I was doing all sorts of other things, which was fine. But when it came to trying to build the team, everybody else had been doing this for several years or several cycles of the program, and I didn't know anything about the program. And so I, I decided, you know what? I should sit back. I should observe exactly what what's happening here before I try to bring in some changes, before I try to impose my own culture, other things like that. It was a really, really rough, probably two or three years in that role. There were some rumors at one point that one of the, the senior leaders had me on his list of people to take out of the organization, to, to let go, to relief of duties. Unfortunately for me, he was actually relieved of his duties before he could ax me. And so I had this opportunity to continue to try to, to learn and grow. One of my low points in this role was when I was doing final evaluations at the end of one of these cycles. And I was giving some feedback to one of my rock star employees. And I just had in my mind, well, you have to give something that is constructive, right? You have to give some sort of constructive feedback. Otherwise, you're not doing a good job. You're not doing anybody any favors. I'm just giving people compliments all the time. And I thought and thought, and I really, I just couldn't think of anything that she could be doing better. So I kind of put something down or put a few things down in the evaluation just to kind of, you know, put something down, right? To give some constructive feedback. And when we sat down for our one-on-one and I was to go through this, I, I made all the mistakes that a first-time supervisor would make, right? So I wasn't giving feedback constantly. And then when I did give some critical feedback, it was a total surprise to this person. And she asked for examples and I couldn't come up with any examples and I should have been able to give some some concrete stuff and I couldn't do it. I mean, I was a disaster in this second role as, as a manager. And I maybe I had to go through that in order to, to become a better person to learn by doing. But one of the things that I fell victim to or put myself in a position to be a poor manager is that I was put into this role and I was never introduced to what are some effective or good ways for, for managers to, to supervise people. What are some good ways to give feedback? What are some good ways to observe? How should I be observing? When should I be giving feedback? All those questions were things that I just had come naturally and easily to me in that role when I was a GED instructor. But uh, I just, I couldn't get it. I couldn't find my manager groove in, in this next role. So what's, what was the big learning or the big takeaway from the disaster? 
Yeah, I think that the the big learning or the big takeaway was I I felt like I had to be a manager that people had to look up to me. I felt that because of my title and because of where I came in, I couldn't really I didn't want to be friends with the people. I wanted to be their supervisor, right? But everyone else knew that wasn't the the organization's culture. And so when people would invite me to lunch, I'm like, no, 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 you, you, you go, you know, and, um, and so I didn't make any good connections on a human level with my staff. I was task focused. I was taking a look at making sure that the program ran well. I was making sure that the parents who sent their kids were happy. And that was kind of my only focus. Whereas in hindsight, if I could do some things differently, I would spend a lot more time not kind of, and I would do some team building stuff, but it was, you know, it was almost check the box team building stuff. We went bowling and I gave some structure. We didn't just go bowling. I had to insert some kind of forced fun into it and forced team building into it. Nothing was natural. Nothing was organic. There was no human connection or relationship that I was trying to afford. And all of those things were things that I've taken with me and said, you know what, let's not ever repeat that mistake again. You know, that sounds a lot like my origin story as well. And it, it, it just sounds like, you know, all the things that, that we could do wrong, we did wrong. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me throw you a lifeline here. Is there a redemption side of this? Can you, did you redeem yourself in some way? You know, <laughs> I don't know if there's a ton of redemption in that particular role, right? If any of the folks that I supervised at that organization were to join endurance learning at some point, they may enjoy my supervision style or my management style a lot better now because I really am. And, and part of this came to me through my, my next role when I, when I took over as a training director for an organization and a nonprofit. And I worked, I supervised two people at that point and, uh, and neither of them were interested in Brian, the taskmaster. It was all about, hey, can we develop what, one of my direct reports on my first day came into my office and plopped a chair down next to my desk in my office. And then she sat down and she talked and then she left and she didn't take the chair. So there's always a chair. And so the door was kind of always open. There's always a chair for, for her or some, anybody else from, from the organization to come in and talk to me about things. And it's that talking, it's that, you know, never eat lunch at your desk type of philosophy. It's get out and, and, you know, be human are all lessons that I kind of ignored or resisted in that first attempt. And then in my, my, my next kind of supervisory role, I had a team of people that wouldn't let me not be human. They wanted to know who I was. They wanted to share who they were. They wanted to share about their weekend. They wanted to share about their families. And those are all things that you know I think are really, really important because when we are managers, we are working with whole humans. We're not working just with people who are assigned to do a bunch of job duties. Yeah, I love the whole idea of being, you know, like focusing on the whole human and being very relational. When I when I teach management development classes, I I teach folks to build relationships and to build trust before anything else. You can't make any large-scale changes or anything until you've you've got that trust. So now that you've been in management for a while and you've been exposed to management development, either by developing these courses or by doing it trial by fire sort of a thing, what would you say your philosophy of management development is? 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. And I think that perhaps the the best way to sum up my philosophy is to 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 educate yourself and, and really put your ego in check and be more self-aware. So for, for me, for example, a few things that I just didn't want to accept were that A, I wasn't a natural manager or natural leader, and B, I had never really studied what it meant to be an effective manager. I kind of went on based on my own experience, based on my ego, based on the fact that I had always been a high performer. And so I think that it's really important for anyone who is in a manager role to be self-aware and to be able to continue to, to develop in their role, whether that is taking some sort of course, maybe it's a LinkedIn learning course of what it means to be a manager, what it means to be a supervisor, what it means to give feedback, what it means to to set goals, what it means to hold people accountable, what it means to engage in difficult conversations. All of those things are really important. And I think very few people do all of those things naturally. And if you don't have experience, if you don't have a bunch of learn by doing, trial by fire, trial and error types of things, there are books out there. There are courses out there. There are mentors out there. There are other things that you can do to be a better manager. But just because you have that title or because you have that responsibility does not mean that you're going to be good at it by any stretch of the imagination. And so having some humility, I think, is, is a really, really important guiding philosophy there. Completely agree. Completely agree. I teach empathy as a really important skill in becoming a manager. Following on, I wonder if you have any favorite tools or models that you use or would recommend to folks. You know, as simple and basic as it sounds, one of the places to start is simply the SMART goals, right? So something that is specific, that's measurable, that's, that's achievable and realistic and time-bound. Those are really, whether or not you use the SMART model, having things that are m- measurable, that are time-bound, and that are specific are really, really important because if you don't have those and if you're not aligned on those, it's really difficult to be able to give feedback. So in that example that I gave earlier where I was just kind of searching for something to give feedback uh, to, to one, of, one of my direct reports, we didn't have, we had not set goals. We had not aligned on what expectations were, what was time bound. And so I just kind of reached for something and she's like, well, give me an example. I don't agree with this. And that's a really bad place to be in. So, so making sure that, you know, there's some sort of structure that helps people to align between the, the supervisor and supervisee is absolutely critical. Love it. Love it. I can't agree more. Smart goals, Super powerful, super simple, which makes it powerful. I think yeah. you know, smart goals and the grow model and the SBI model, these yeah. things that I was I was going to come back to SBI because I think that so it's one thing to set goals and it's another thing to actually be able to give feedback. Mm. And so when you talk about the SBI model, which is more of a feedback model, you know, talk about the situation. You don't talk about the person. You don't talk about personalities. You don't talk about idiosyncrasies. We're talking about the situation, and then the the behavior. So what, what did I observe? And then the impact, you know, how did it impact? Not me, but how did it, maybe if it's an interpersonal thing, but more so how did it impact the situation, right? What, what, Mm -hmm. how did that behavior impact the situation? And, and it could be for better or worse. Right. And so that's another thing is that managing isn't just about 
poking holes in somebody about finding things that they can constantly improve. It's about catching people doing things right and saying, mm-hmm. hey, that's amazing. And, and this is why it's amazing. Not just good job, but, and I, I, I go back to, there's there's the movie Whiplash, which um, if you haven't seen it, it's about this very, it's almost like a sadistic uh, orchestra teacher. And he's trying to push this, his drummer to be the best drummer ever. And at one point he's sitting down with his, his pupil and saying, the two most word, most dangerous words in the English language are nice job and, you know, or something along those lines or good job or something like that, because it's, it's just kind of an empty compliment. If there's nothing specific behind it, then it's empty. People don't know what to replicate. People don't know what to do again, but you know, it feels good, but, uh, but why? <laughs> so getting, getting the art of feedback is, is really essential. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. And I tend toward simpler models only because they're easy to remember. You don't have to struggle to remember it. You don't have to pull out the participant guide from the class you went through. It's like smart, grow, SBI. I got it. I learned it in five minutes and I can apply it right away. Boom, done. Great. Well, let's transition to a couple of questions from the lightning round. This is the part of the show where folks get to know you a little bit better. Nothing embarrassing, unless you displease me, in which case... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in which case I'll pull out something awful. So you have your own podcast. If you could interview anyone on your podcast, anybody at all, living or dead, anyone, who would it be and why? Yeah, you know, I think that the person that first comes to mind is Josh Allen, who is the all-world quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. And while I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan, there's a work aspect and and kind of a, a learning and professional development aspect to this as well. He came out of high school with no scholarship offers at all, zero. And he worked his way through the University of Wyoming and then became a first-round draft pick in in the NFL. And I think that his story arc is a story arc that many of us, whether we're studying management or we're studying whatever other aspect of our job, like our dream job, I think that his story is one that we should really pay attention to because very few of us are born natural, amazing managers. He wasn't born a natural, amazing quarterback, right? He had the raw talent, he had the skills, but nobody else saw it, right? Coming out of out of high school. And now he's one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the NFL. So what what did he do? What kind of helped him with his drive? He sought out a, a quarterback coach outside of his team. So somebody who could mentor him in terms of getting his mechanics down. Plus, he's just a goofball, right? And so I think that part of anything that we do is that it should be fun. And so if it's not going to be fun, why are we doing it? And I think that he would be a very enjoyable guest to have on any sort of podcast. Oh. So Josh Allen, if you're listening to this amazing podcast here, give me a call, shoot me an email, tweet me, whatever it might be. I'd love to have you on. If he calls me first, I'll refer him to you. I'll give you first tips. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yep. No worries. Okay. And then the last question I want to ask you before we wrap up is what brings you the most joy in your life? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I think that it is the people who I'm closest to. So it could be my children, it could be my business partner, it could be the team at Endurance Learning, certainly my fiance, um, the dog, you know, taking the dog for a walk around Green Lake. So just spending time with people who I enjoy and people who seem to enjoy me, I think is, is really important. 
Plus one to kids. When my wife and I first met, I was pretty ambivalent about kids. I wasn't so sure. And I put us on the five-year plan. We're going to be married for five years before we have kids. Well, a year later, we had kids. And it's been the most amazing thing ever. Mm-hmm. And now those same children have talked me into letting them adopt a cat. And I am not a cat person. And yet Javier, that's his name, El Señor Javier, El Gato, he is like my buddy. He'll come and sit on my lap and let me scratch him and he purrs away. And it's, yeah, those kind of relationships, whether they're feline or human, I think, you know, those close familiar relationships are absolutely priceless. So yeah, I agree when, when they. When when you're when you find that you're smiling a lot more than you're doing the opposite, those are good relationships to have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's wrap it up, Brian. Thank you so much. That was a wonderful conversation. Really glad that you came. How can people find you? So feel free to reach out to me if you are not yet connected with me on LinkedIn. So I'm Brian Washburn, and I'll be the you'll you'll find me as the CEO of Endurance Learning. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at FlipchartGuy, or you can find me, you know, through Endurance Learning and the website. You can always email me at brian at endurancelearning.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn. We will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? Get a ton of insider tips and tools at gerardtrainingsolutions.com. Solutions.com.